0: the idea that you would have gone for instance to like luther you know and said oh katarina you know has no authority or responsibility or ministry in this in in vittenberg you know in the church I, mean, I think he would have he would have laughed he probably would have cussed you up you know <laughs> said something vulgar and laughed you out of his house
1: Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I am here with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church on Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. Both of you guys are on vacation right now. How is it going? Excellent.
0: Yeah, Thank great, you. Nick. Thanks.
1: I want a little more. There's a little bit of uh, uh, <laughs> well, internet connectivity issues up where JD is in the mountains, but that's cool. How how are the relaxation vibes going
2: for you guys? Well, the great thing for me is we're at a place where there's a lot of beaches, and I don't like the beach. I I, <laughs> I don't like the sand. I don't like the salt. I don't. I mean, why why go somewhere where you're going to be just inundated with winds? blowing sand and salt into your face and, and yeah, uh, no, I can't. you prefer I, I, your I wind, be, but my kids and my wife, <laughs> my kids and my wife and love the beach. So every day, you know, about one or two, they go off and I have like what I've never had like for, so for most of my life, at least married seven, eight hours of pure quietness, <laughs> And a house <laughs> stocked with great books because JD has great books. All around him, so, so it's like it's like heaven. I don't think I, I, this is. The, of course, I wish Ann was with me, but no. but aside from that, it's like oh man, this is amazing.
0: So yeah, well, we're and we're doing great. We're going. We go up to Laz's parents have a house in the mountains, and it just I had a little bit of nostalgia here. I'm sitting in the same room that we did a lot of our stand firm during COVID uh lockdowns if you remember that with the masks and the various things mm-hmm. and so i'm sitting in the same place sort of uh in a much different place mentally um but uh it, at the very least yeah we're we made it through the high sort of american holy days Fourth of july with all the festivities up here, and now we're settling into a good uh two more weeks or so of um this kind of adult camp it's nice <laughs> you know <Yeah>. it's like come <laughs> back and Little croquet, little tennis, little snapping, little uh, you know. What is snapping? Um, napping. Oh, napping.
1: napping. Okay, I was, tennis. I was envisioning you know, some things. sort of like West Side Story, you know, snapping. <laughs>
0: and I'm gonna try to keep. I'll try for my 35th year of my uh, uh, 35th year in a row, to enjoy the game of golf. But it just doesn't doesn't look like it's <laughs> gonna happen. It doesn't look like this is my year. <laughs> I, I keep saw waiting. This. I
2: saw the pink yeah. clubs in your garage. Is that like? Is that like, right? No, there's a lot. She
0: just, she just gave up. She's <laughs> left them up here. She's like, I'll just borrow. I'll borrow, a, um, <laughs> someone's and you are watching Wimbledon though. That's fun. That's always a summer tradition. So, anyway, it's all good. And her church is in good hands. I'm grateful for. And um, and we're just, yeah, it's nice to be have some downtime before the fall starts yeah. back up.
1: Indeed. Well, on to our show proper, over over the last couple of months, we've done several shows uh, largely related to the Southern Baptist Convention and their annual meeting, which addressed the issue of women in ministry and especially our concerns about the direction of certain churches. And during that time, we've had several emails to the mailbag. I've even had a conversation or two in real life, IRL, as the kids say asking us to offer a more positive case for the ministry of women in the church, something that we all would claim to uphold. Now, it could seem, listening to those shows, that we see the ministry of women, any ministry, as some kind of dark force at work undermining the church. So today, we're going to talk about the good of women ministering in the church, why the church needs women to do ministry, and maybe, if time allows, get into the differences of opinion in the ACNA about exactly where and how that should happen. For instance, can or should a woman be a deacon? So guys, not to put too fine a point on it, but all of our wives are doing or have done in the past ministry in our churches and certainly in our families.
2: Is that a good thing? No, they should all be quiet <laughs> and sit lord. in the back row. Oh lord. <laughs> <laughs> no, of that's course great. I mean that it's like it's one half. It yeah, just three has
0: three. been just has been the pattern of Christian history for 2000 years they should be you know totally excluded from any sort of <laughs> ministry within the church or home. <laughs> until um the last 50 years this is years not the show for too they... much
1: sarcasm you
2: guys <laughs>
1: <laughs> sorry
0: just, just a <laughs> little little sort of yeah sorry I, Matt, I didn't mean to interrupt you no
2: i mean i i mean look uh, just on a very personal level um i would never be able to do the work that i do without Anne. i mean as as and i'm not trying to i'm not don't i'm not going to the cliched she's my help meet thing i'm just saying she's I, I, I get the—I I literally could not function at Good Shepherd doing what I do without her also doing what she does. And I think there's some definitely core bedrock truth to that that idea because you know, God made us <laughs> in his a- image and likeness male and female, right? So the male and the female are both made in his image. So of course, so of course, when we're talking about any endeavor, but especially the church, uh, of course, women have... A, a, a huge role to play in in the functioning of the body of Christ. So the question of ordination, setting that aside, I mean, it, that's a different question, but but how women function in the church is, uh, I guess it's a, the, the, the question kind of strikes me as odd because so many women do so much <laughs> in just about every congregation I've been in. In fact, right. most of the stuff is done by, <laughs> as far as I well, you need to I look at e- by women, um, and I'm not just talking about Sunday school or uh, for children or uh, you know doing secretarial work. I mean, actual day-to-day the things that keep the church going, in my experience, it has usually been done by um, by women, and uh, men pitch in too. But I mean, the, 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 for years at Good Shepherd, there were three women. They're all sadly deceased now, uh, but they would be there at eight o'clock in the morning for morning prayer and they would spend, you know, good half, if not the whole day at the church, just puttering around, making sure things are in order, uh, cleaning thing. I mean, it just, it, it's just amazing women sort of giving their life. They were all retired, of course, giving their, their lives to, or I'm sorry, their husbands, they're widowed and they were. Uh, I guess they didn't have jobs, so, but they were at, living off their, um, you know, whatever the pension they had. Um, so they were they gave themselves over to serving the church for the rest of their lives, and they were they were the pillars of of Good Shepherd for many mm-hmm. many years. Um, without them, yeah, I would have been lost. So I mean, I, I guess I'm trying to wrap my, around, wrap, my, wrap my mind around the question. I mean, can the church? Yeah. What, I think there's some, to, I mean, there's some measure of do,
1: clericalism guess? here. Um, there's okay. some measure of clericalism here, the idea that if a ministry is valuable, that's right. one that's must be ordained to do it. Now, that's not just a, a knock on all the important things that unordained women are doing. That's a knock on all the important things that unordained people are doing, where the the, the laity is the main ministry engine of the church, right?
0: Well, I would want to talk about that slightly differently, just in terms of the sort of history of how that was used within the, um, particularly the Episcopal Church, to sort of usher in all sorts of um, unintended consequences, um, but, you know, the ministry of the laity being the um, primary uh, thrust of the church. But But put that aside, Matt, while you were talking, I was just reminded, you know, one of the analogies the biblical analogies that has um over the past 150 years and we've talked about this a lot because of the industrial revolution and sexual revolution all the various revolutions um, that has been lost i think which made perfect sense to people for over a millennia was the idea that the family was a small church and the church was a large family and so just the idea that if you had a functioning family the role of a woman or mother, you know, most, most normally within the family was undisputedly important and active and in many ways authoritative, you know, I mean, in all sorts of spheres within this life of the family. So the analogy worked similarly within the church, you know, you had the family, the household of God. And so, yes, there was some distinctions, you know, it wasn't exactly a biological family, but but it certainly was considered, you know, spiritual brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts, all adopted children of God under one roof, working for the good of of its, you know, the body there, the local body. And so I think that, you know, one of the sad, another sad uh, ramification of the breakdown of the understanding of the of the family, um, you know, is also, we see the breakdown of the understanding of the roles and responsibilities within the church. Because, you know, I think the idea that you would have gone, for instance, to like Luther, um, you know, and said, oh, Katerina, you know, has no authority or responsibility or ministry in this, in, in Wittenberg, you know, in the church. I, mean, I think he would have, he would have laughed. He probably would have cussed you up, you know, <laughs> said something vulgar and laughed you out of his house. Um, but, you know, I think that that's the sort of, It's interesting, and like with you, you know, I have a hard time with the entire discussion because I can't conceive of either a household in any capacity, whether it's my own personal household or then by extension the household of God, functioning, operating ever in my experience, both growing up in it and now leading, um, leading it without the active, ongoing, and thoroughgoing participation of women in in leadership roles within the various spheres that are given to them in these, these, these different bodies. And so I, you know, I don't, I mean, again, I've never been in a a Southern Baptist church. I mean, I, we were there briefly as a child and then my parents um, went to a a vineyard conference and we became charismatics, you know, so that was how that worked. But, um, you know, so again, I don't know what they're actually talking about when they say things, you know, like women have been prohibited from ministry. Women have been you know, sidelined or silenced, you know, other than what we've talked about before, there's some very traditional biblical sort of roles and responsibilities that, that, you know, have crossed denominations for thousands of years. If that's what they're talking about, that's a different issue. But in terms of the actual role and, and uh, active participation of women in ministry, I I see that happening all over the place, particularly in the, in in our, in our,
2: in our local churches, you know, and I'm grateful for it. Yeah. One, one thing that I think, Women do naturally that men don't do is naturally is is they act as kind of a social cohesion and glue of, of a not just a, a church but any community that the women have I think by God's given them by nature a more relational. Outlook than than men have because they raise children and they have to their 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 whole body their whole biology their their and therefore their, their mind and their emotions are geared toward nurturing young human beings and that that gives them a natural kind of empathy and sympathy for people in the in who are on the outside of a, a community or who are who they might see as not being fully participating participating in a community and so in just about every church I've been in, the, the reason there is a community, the reason there is a there, there is of course, yes, Jesus, but Jesus often working through women and bringing people in and new family walks into church on a Sunday morning. Uh, very often, if not always <laughs> it's it's the, some of the women are coming up and talking with the, the wife or the mother and and, and making connections there that, that, Men sometimes well it might be friendly, but it's just it's a different way of uh women I think have a more natural way of doing that than than men do. there are gregarious men, of course. But and then once once there's a community formed, women have a lot of interest in keeping it, keeping people together. So I can't count the times that the vestry has said, okay, we're gonna put this announcement out, or we're gonna put this, we're making this decision. And we're all usually, yeah, we've written out the proclamation or whatever whatever it might be. And you know, a woman on the vestry or someone will say, Hey, you know, you do you, you, sure you want to say it just that way? Because it I can see that really uh, really offending this person, or really hurting that person, or really making that person feel the, the, the he or she's unimportant, and things I wouldn't. The men in the, the vetry wouldn't even have thought of, and I, this is why I pass all my emails. I should probably do this for social media too, but I pass all my emails through, and I pass all my. I pass all you... my, um... I mean, not through Anne. And I don't preach a sermon until I mean I, what I, I, I tell the guys I'm training preachers when I and I tell everyone I pre I train who's married let your wife read your sermon like let, let her be like at least the first or second i would say the first eyes on it apart from yourself because she's going to hear things in a way that you just your mind isn't geared to hear them and she's going to be able to tell you how that's how that joke's going to go over how that illustration is going to go over or whether that's a something you should or shouldn't say if there a better way to get your point across and and so I, again it's because of the different way we're wired i think not having women in in positions of leadership and in uh, authority and influence in the church is is, is going to hurt the body so you have to have one half of the human population <laughs> made in god's image exercising influence in in your church that's just this is not even a negotiable thing i think
0: hmm. Liza listens to all my um well live if possible all my classes every now and then she misses and i get very nervous and i let her listen to it before I put it up on social media because yeah. I'm, I just want to make sure. To date, I've never not put one up, but um there have been a couple of times where I was I was grateful for her to say no, it was fine, Um, you know. But but I hear you, and then the sermon too. If she's not there in person; she at least reads it beforehand, um, which I'm grateful for. Also, I do get a lot more comments on the sermon corrections than I do the uh, the classes. <laughs> I have to admit, <laughs>
1: <laughs> extensive notes. That's right, we have to through. I wonder if it's. Because I am in Louisville here, sort of SBC central, I'm coming out of a life in the Episcopal church where the ordination of women was just in the water and was sort of the unquestioned reality for my whole life and coming into contact with this other church where it was the opposite, where women not in sort of official named ministry in the church, that was in the water and that was the unquestioned thing women coming into some kind of ministry in the church seemingly and I'm I can't think of a superior word to pharisaical, which I don't mean in the negative sense. I just mean in in the sense of adding laws or protections to keep oneself from breaking the real law. I think that some women coming out of that water, which is unlike the water I came out of, they're they're worried about getting to the point where they do break some of the biblical prescriptions against women in eldership and women having authority over a man. And so they, they're backing themselves off further and further just out of fear of even approaching that. And I wonder if we can encourage women to be, I mean, there are such good examples of women in scripture who are doing wonderful ministry. Obviously Priscilla comes to mind and Tebra and uh, Phoebe Phoebe. Phoebe. and just, it's an interesting thing. Maybe you, you, maybe you guys have a different experience, but that's been my experience of needing to break down some of those walls of worry to affirm a valuable ministry.
2: I I do think you're right about that. There's some, there's some culture, there's a big church culture divide between Anglican churches, especially those that have come out of the Episcopal church and more evangelical denominations and and one of the cultural divides is there's just not a lot of is it okay for women to do this you know Mm -hmm. uh in my i grew grew, in all saints episcopal church where i grew up there was no there was no there was no gatekeeping about what women could and couldn't do of course we didn't have female deacons or priests but aside from that there was no like this is a woman's thing this is a man's thing It it was it was a it was a pretty much everyone recognized the worth and value of everyone else and it, it but having people come into my church from more evangelical backgrounds and and churches yeah i think you're right that that's a that's a big fear like what can i do without getting in trouble mm-hmm. um and then and then letting someone know well you don't you're not getting in trouble i mean <laughs> you can yeah you do know, you i don't know what do you do are you a reader do you do? you what do you want to how what's where do your where do your gifts lie let's talk about that um and that's been i think you're right that needs to be something up front in a, in a church so that uh, women do feel coming into an Anglican congregation that that there's a lot of the rules and a lot of the a lot of the structures that they're used to spoken or unspoken just don't exist and i'd say a lot of Anglican churches they're just not not that there aren't different things that women tend to do versus huh. to th- things that women, like so i don't well, we talked about this in an earlier broadcast but you know yeah men aren't on the altar guilt <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure why that is but but they're just not on it there's no rule because it's not written um but that's all women women do that and i, I don't know why and, and washing the linen all, all kind of stuff is is there's no there's no bylaw or biblical construct that that makes that happen but it happens for some for for some reason and and you know men are on the grounds committee and there's not very very you very rarely have a woman on that but but there's no like hard and fast except when it comes to ordination teaching that sort of thing there's no hard and fast women can't do this men do this and can't do that Uh, it, it just kind of shakes out in a natural way in my experience
0: well, I you know, and, and again, I our church resembles that remark, too. so I don't I'm not speaking specifically for St. Luke's or any church that I've served for that matter. but listening to that from through the perspective of some of our friends who who do have um, sort of more uh, structures around these various um, roles and responsibilities, like, for instance, um even something like an elder board, you know, or or perhaps you know vestry or readers. you know, their churches, you know, even within the Anglican ACNA, that have limit uh, the readers to men. You know, because they consider it considered a um, an act of public authority to speak in public in that way. Again, in, which is not something that our church um, embraces. But I would be I would be hesitant to use the words that we that that we have a different view of of um, resp- uh, sort of worth and respectability over against those churches. Because I would argue, I'm on their behalf that there would there would be simply a difference of opinion about where this line of roles and responsibility between men and women is drawn but it wouldn't be drawn um as a sort of misogynistic hateful patriarchal line it would simply be drawn in a different now albeit very culturally not to use a made-up word impactful way you know i mean it's a different church that has you know there's there there are certain churches in the acna that have um head coverings you know it's a very common thing they don't allow any women to speak from, from the front and, you know, the, um, the vestry, I don't know if I don't know if the vestry is limited to men, but I know for a fact that those are two aspects of public worship. That's not something our church follows, but I wouldn't want to say to that rector that he somehow is devaluing women. I would just say that, well, our church cultures are going to play out slightly differently. And we should have a conversation about what that looks like, because it will impact, you know, both, you know, again, if the church is a little home and the home is a little church, then that's going to have a various roles and uh, conversation on your pre-marriage counseling, on your intra-marriage counseling, you know, hopefully not post-marriage counseling, um, you know, child rearing, all these things are going to be affected in various ways that you're going to have to just, I think you're, you're right, Matt, be upfront and aware of. Uh, but that's the conversation that has to take place amongst brothers and sisters in Christ who, have, who may agree to disagree at certain points. You know, I mean, this is what we've decided. We've talked about this forever in ACNA, like, you know, you have to, if you are a priest wanting to be an ordain in a you have um, some geographical limitations on where you go, depending on on what your convictions are on certain on these certain issues. You know, I mean, it's a it's not a it's not a blanket uh, church with respect to this, but you know, the conversation needs to continue to happen as gracefully and as kind of biblically as we can possibly have it, because otherwise, uh, it will devolve into well, those people are you know, more respectful of women than those, you know, or those people are more biblical than the other. And I think that's what, you know, we're trying to avoid, but I am sympathetic to the people who, you know, everyone, everyone to, and I'm not saying you're saying this, Matt, but it's, it, but it is always the case that, I mean, I always, well, I used to, I used to say this and now it turns out to not be true that I wanted to sort of be in a moderate position on everything, you know, because, because you wanted to be able to punch right and left, you know, but at, at, at the end of the day, you know, you really just want to, one wants to be on the Christian position on things, you know, and yeah. that's where, Yeah. But the, anyway, that, that's just a reflection. No, I mean, I, not, yeah,
2: I, I hear you. I, I would never want to say that those who have a, a, a more articulated structure uh, so in other churches about what women can do and can't do are devaluing women. I don't think that at all. Um, I, I do think, though, that there is something valuable about the Ang- Anglican quality that allows for um, a little breadth that other denominations may not may, not, may not have. And here's where I think it is actually: I think it's our, I think it's a threefold ministry. I think it's, I think it's having in our quality the priest or the, the rector in a, in a given parish. Has unquestioned authority in and, and spiritual and uh, administrative. i well, I like to say responsibility
0: right. so, about this. He's he's the sole responsible party of that church. Yeah, like okay, he, but that comes with authority. At the end of the right. day. So, well, no, of course. Well, no, right. absolutely, totally, right. totally.
2: So the reason I reason I bring that up, yeah, is authority, responsibility, two sides of the same coin. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, so the but the but the thing is that that actually gives freedom and breadth for because there's no worry about who's in charge or who's, who's at least there shouldn't be um so and, and yeah, you can't get you and, can't get voted out you can't get yeah, I mean, theoretically yeah you, know, you can get run out you can get ground out but you can't or for really lack get... of a better now, there's a king in the land right Should, and, and of course the king is correct well, rector so. actually
0: means ruler i mean that's what it right. means so like <laughs> right so, so i that point actually, that out at the beginning of, we, we recite of that that's... creed at the beginning of every vestry meeting so as <laughs> and you'll as... remember that rector means ruler <laughs>
2: yeah, <that's familiar. laughs> I, I told Sorry. my people that in Africa that bishops are called, you know, Your Grace, My Lord, and so I said they should just do that. I'm not a bishop yet, but you should just do that. They wouldn't do it. So oh, yeah, heard heard well. yet. yeah, I heard that. Yeah, that. yeah. Wow, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> something yeah, you know that we, we don't know about. Go for it. Matt. <laughs> the point I was trying to make is where there is if a rector is doing his job well, I think then then a lot of the stress about role in a congregation goes away and I things and, th- and things tend to fall out naturally and i think the same thing is true in a, in a family if the father is doing his job well if he's serving and, and leading his, his family well that all the worry and who should do what where when all that it kind of just d- dissolves because because things fall into place um, naturally at, at that point Anne's noticed this like she she's she going to she was raised um, in, in a, a boarding school, which is, I think, conservative Baptist or what it, what it was, but um, just all the anxiety about what women could and couldn't do. Um, and then she goes into she would come home on leave where her dad was taking a sabbatical from his uh, missionary missionary work. And she'd walk into an Episcopal church. There wasn't the A C N A back then. Conservative Episcopal church with just regular male priests doing their thing and there's just all of that just was no way it just wasn't there and so when i mentioned the cultural difference earlier that's what i mean There's some kind of there's some kind of freedom that's given to people inside of the congregation when when a rector is is rectoring in, in and in a in a good godly way
1: i'm reminded as you say that matt of the distinction that paul draws implicitly with his command to husbands and wives when he asks husbands to love and give themselves sacrificially for their wives and asks wives to submit to their husbands, he he never tells the one to demand that behavior of the other. He simply commands husbands to do this and commands wives yeah. to do this. I think the implication there is that this is the foundation upon which your relationship rests, not that you're negotiating it every day, that you're living in these God given roles, and therefore the actual conversation about it can sort of cease, and you can actually just live your lives in ministry together.
2: I mean, I think it's actually right. That's absolutely right, and that's why at the end of that section, Paul goes back to the to Genesis two and, and refers to the the created order, because when both people in a, a marriage are doing are doing what God has always designed for them to do in a marriage, then of course. Thing you have human flourishing. To, you know, there, there's all kinds of flourishing and blossoming and, and 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 life when that when that when that takes place. Absolutely, I yeah. Totally agree with you.
0: yeah. And I think back to your point, um, Matt, about ecclesiology. You know, I think this is where if we have any of our Baptist friends or sort of uh, Presbyterian friends listening, um, if our listener has changed to Reformed Baptist, <laughs> um, then you know, I think it is worth pointing out that as as sort of wonky and seemingly. Um, uh, in the weeds, as this conversation could get with with respect to ecclesiology, like it really does make a difference because you know I saw going around when s p debate was happening, you know a quote by Al moeller who I respect dearly, who said you know any church that finds a way to reach women pastors is going to end up be you know irrevocably liberal or something like this you know I forget what it was, but it um but it was kind of a little tweet that was going around. And you know that was sent to me a couple of times uh, by people who are concerned about the trajectory of the ACNA, and you know I'm sim- we've talked about this a bunch. You know I'm sympathetic to that trajectory. I do not want to be on it, and I think that we are we have some guardrails that will keep us from from falling off. Um, um, that being said, I do think that given our polity and ecclesiology with the threefold ministry and where responsibility actually lies, namely with the bishop and the diocesan level, and then by extension, his presbyters, you know, underneath him, and then by then the deacons underneath him, you know, we do have some differences that are um, notable and of, of kind, not just agree with over against like a Baptist polity or even a Presbyterian polity that would allow for us to have some leeway with respect to women in public ministry in a way that a baptist or presbyterian couldn't like like you know if i thought the presbytery if we actually worked for the presbytery you know in a certain sense like they were our spiritual authority you know well then i would have a hard time arguing that you should have women as part of a presbytery from a biblical perspective you know but the vestry does not i do not work for the vestry you know i do not You know, I've had to clarify that in the (laughs) current situation, but I've had situations where that had to be clarified. I'm grateful that I'm in a position now where that has been lovingly clarified and in a healthy, to your point, Matt, in a healthy, you know, relationship between Rector Vestry for 30 plus years, you know, at St. Luke's. And so to step into that has been a great joy because, you know, we're very clear about what we're responsible for and so as a result of that there's not a lot of so far um you know overlap um in terms of getting getting that confused and so i think that's just that's just a point that's fair noted. and we could talk at length about this but i do think that i've thought a lot about the differences between our polity and in trying to to not shoehorn my acceptance of the acna into an unbiblical framework but actually come to a place where i could say well you know, I, I think I, I disagree about um, this way of interpreting um, these admonitions and prescriptions than you do. You know, say bishop in a certain diocese that I'm not in, or or you know, rector of certain different churches. Although I'm not going to say that you are um, flagrantly violating the the teaching of Scripture, I think that you know you might be you're 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 bending it in a different way than I'm bending it. But you know, I'm acknowledging that perhaps can be bent this way. And so I think that's one of the things that we keep coming back to time and time again in the ACNA is that if the congregate, how we are to understand these clear prohibitions with it with respect to our polity and ecclesiology, um, which at this point, as we pointed out, has been enshrined in the limitation of only men being bishops. Well, then let's just talk about how that settles out. And we can have dioceses that disagree on every other order and in every other capacity, as long as we have this shared sense of, of togetherness at this foundational level. And I think that's what we're, you know, hopefully what we're, fi- we're, we're, artic- we're certainly articulating that. And, you know, the more people I have a conversation with and it's sort of like a light bulb going off, they either didn't know this or it's like, they didn't realize it or it's a aspect of it that they hadn't appreciated fully um, is like one more person. That's getting a sense of, of how we're going to make this thing work going forward. And I think it's I think it's a worthy endeavor. You know, I mean, again, I've said that some of these arguments are more or less persuasive in my own personal opinion. But, you know, the people who love the Bible, who are submitted to the authority of Scripture, who are not talking about these things in sort of rights and, you know, kind of modern parlance with respect to um, reviving the divide between men and women, but actually seeing something of the reconciliation of men and women in the shared roles within the church, um, limited in certain spheres as they may be. Well, that's a beautiful thing. You know, I can get behind that, even if it turns out that I, you know, we may disagree about some of the specifics, but but I have found some fruit in that type of conversation. I look forward to having
1: it more. I think it's worth noting, too, that the gospel, <laughs> like, you know. The Sunday school answer here, the gospel, the finished work of Jesus Christ extends to sin in this area like it does to sin in any other. If a woman is too reticent or too energetic in ministry in a sinful way, she is covered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If a man is too restrictive or too allowant allowing to allowance. He too is covered by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Somebody brought up the Proverbs 31 woman to me the other day and said that she had existed as a judgment in this woman's life ever since she read Proverbs 31. And Proverbs 31 is an ideal woman and would judge anyone. She is an entrepreneur. She does this, that, and the other thing. She perhaps is an ideal, but should remind us to throw ourselves back on the saving grace of jesus christ which is no less accessible to sinners in these areas than it is to any other sinner
2: that's that's a really great point especially since this conversation has been hijacked in a lot of ways by by kind of the woke way of thinking so that you know if you're if you if you are from that perspective too restrictive quote unquote of women you there's shame, and if you're and if you're a woman and you've been if you allowed yourself to be too restricted, quote unquote. There's shame, and both sides of that conversation are thoroughly uh, contrary to the gospel. You're absolutely right. I mean, you're, you're, we're human beings and we're sinners, so we're all going to do wrong things, <laughs> and that includes in our in our organization of the church, um, in our acting within the within the structures that exist. We're gonna we're gonna sin and we're gonna not do as we should. But we are the one organization on the face of the earth that has gathered together because we, we confess that, <laughs> because okay. we, okay. we, we we don't do what we should. That's why we're here. So. Yeah, and that's why it's that's what's so heartbreaking about a lot of this conversation,
0: uh, hijacked as it has been, as you say, Matt, by like certain current sort of grievance um, language, because there's such an incredible lack of grace uh, for people who, who in their good intentions may have, have sinned, you know, this is what, you know, that they have, the implication is that, is that, you know, anytime one of these, either heavy handed or underhanded or whatever the case may be, um, decisions were made or not made, that it was calculated and nefarious and first degree type, as opposed to the type of blind confusion that we can find ourselves in very easily and only corrected in retrospect. You know, and I think that's where you know whether it's between particular relationships of men and women, you know, in their marriages or in the church or just in society in general, when they're Christian people who are wrestling through life, uh, it's precisely to your point that there's a there's a flaw in the system that we of all people should have appreciation for. You know, and so when someone um, oversteps or underspeaks or you know shows cowardice or or um, you know sort of. Iseges the scripture as opposed to exegete, you know, whatever the case may be, then the loving correction within the body should not be heaping scorn and opprobrium on these people. Um, you know, I mean, uh, obviously, if something illegal is done in we should caveat that, but if, in terms of, of disagreements, you know, or trajectories that need to be corrected, um, then we we should be able to lovingly correct them, not just say, see, you know, use this exhibit A for why the whole system's wrong, exhibit B, you know, because in certain narratives you'd you'd think that there had never been a loving devoted christian husband and wife in all of human history until like 50 years ago like there had never been um any wife that felt you know protected valued and loved by her husband and any husband well that's really the only the really narrative coming through and it's just just not only not true to to actual recorded human history you know go read some of the, like the love poetry of the puritans or read some of the I mean you think about Luther's letters about to Katie I mean that's just I mean there's 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 theological reflection on on marital love you know in this supposedly impossibly patriarchal misogynistic crushing system that counteracts any of those claims and and in addition you have just the simple fruitfulness of the well the, the flourishing of it as you say Matt where you had you know people willingly having children more and more you know bringing more children into the world taking on responsibilities like not fleeing from and or shirking them the way that we see the modern non-christian world doing and we of all people should be unsurprised that our weaknesses are also the areas where god's strength can be made manifest so the places where we find ourselves most tempted are the ones that we also see the most fruitfulness when he is given to um reign in those areas and so i'm increasingly dismissive of that entire narrative. And I, and I think more and more people are, um, this narrative that, you know, men and women, even within the church are irrevocably at odds with each other. And that it's just a power zero sum game. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a sick unbiblical, um, ideology that is, um, just not true to the lived experience of, of the majority of the people who maintain their relationship and ministry within the church. And, you know, it's it's run. I think it's starting to run its course because there's only so long that you can be told that you should be envious and resentful of the power your husband has in the church. And there's only so long you can be told that the responsibility and authority that God has called you up to out of your slovenliness to take up that you can continue to lay down and retain any sort of self-respect. You know, there's only so long you can do that. And, um, and I'm that's grateful an actual that.
1: council of despair.
0: Absolutely. And so this is where, and I'm starting to see this, you know, I'm seeing the younger men and women coming through who are much more amenable to a conversation about gender specific roles and responsibility in the family than I certainly was what, 15 years ago when I started, you know, I got ordained much less 20 years ago, we were in college, you know, we were all going to be super enlightened 21st century men and women. And, um, and I'm grateful for that because I think that, you know, like, like these narratives that we've talked about these books about coming out of the failed sexual revolution, I think that this this failed degendered kind of you know functional you know that, that people are just sort of placeholders for their capabilities, you know, whether they're men or women I think that's that's not only a lie but it's being exposed as such and so i'm I'm grateful to have something to say to that vacuum that the culture is 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 certainly um, observing
2: I have uh been reading. Several books about you know, men who are off at war in World War II or World War One um, over the last year. Just I've been diving into these histories. And, and the community of men by itself is is a sick one. I mean, it's not not like not sick and like it's um, it's bad, inherently bad, but it, it's over time when you just have a bunch of men together. everyone knows every man in that community knows something really huge is missing. And and it's not just a sexual need. That's part of it, but I mean, it's not, there's not, there's, there's, there's something essential to the human experience that is lacking. And when they're, when just men are together, and and, then the same thing is true when it's just women together for an extended period of time, because God made us for one another. And, and that's not just for marriage. It's also in, in the, the human community and especially in, in the church. So, of, of course, I just I, I, I'm still kind of incredulous that. I guess your original question, Nick, was, you know, do women have any right <laughs> any place in I know, I know you were being I know you were being intentionally uh, provocative. But I'm still kind of incredulous that that question could even be be there because I mean every man knows who's just been with a bunch of men for two weeks. Oh my goodness, bring some women in, <laughs> <We're staying>. <laughs> <laughs> please, please let's let's go let's have some women around, and and vice versa. So so in, so the the church should be the place where where the human community is is most most iconically presented because we're men and women. Uh, inspired uh, dwelt by the holy spirit who are being conformed to christ and so and so that there should be a richness and a beauty and a goodness um that is doesn't even need to really be expressed in words That's just made known to people when they walk through our doors these are men and women who love each other they're both taking both sides of this are taking part together as one body in the in the building up of this community and it's a beautiful thing to see And
1: that includes asking each other for forgiveness and proclaiming the good news to each other without ceasing. Amen. Well, thank you guys for the conversation. Thank you, listener, for listening to Stand Firm this week. Uh, as always, if you want to keep the conversation going, you can be in touch with us, rate and review the podcast on iTunes, send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com, or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks to J.D. Coke and Matt Kennedy. Enjoy your vacations, boys. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm.